Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is Friday. It's the 23rd of April. I'm Tom Tilley. And today, part two of our two-part series looking at the COVID vaccine rollouts in the UK and the US. Uh, we'll take you to Washington today to see what we can learn from their rollout. I went along to this huge gymnasium where there were you know, probably hundreds of people that day being vaccinated. And there would have been many nurses inside the gymnasium uh, who were literally going up and down the rows vaccinating people. Yeah, they're not mucking around in America, that interview in just a moment. First, here are the big stories of the day with Jan Fran. Hello, US President Joe Biden has pledged to slash America's emissions and has also challenged other countries to do the same. The United States sets out on the road to cut greenhouse gases in half, in half by the end of this decade. Yeah, so halving their emissions by 2030. Um, He made that announcement in a virtual summit of leaders from 40 different countries. The Biden administration used the summit as a chance to uh, reclaim global leadership on climate for the US. Yeah, there was uh, many leaders, including EU Commission President Ursula von der Leyen, um, who welcomed the US back to the table. Very happy to see them there. It is so good to have the US back on our side in the fight against climate change. Together, we will win the future. Wow, she sounds like a character from an action movie, doesn't she? (laughs) Yeah, the PM, um, Scott Morrison, he also spoke at the forum as well. In a somewhat awkward, but I would say relatable moment, he's... His mic was on mute for the first one minute, which I don't know if that's how you want to go into a global climate conference. But once he turned his mic on, though, he did talk about Australia's quote unquote bankable commitments and that we were, again, quote unquote, on the pathway to net zero emissions through technology. It's hard not to see the muted mic as a metaphor for Australia kind of lagging (laughs) on climate change action. Yeah, we are, um, you know, one of the only developed economies that hasn't outwardly committed to uh, net zero carbon emissions by 2050. Um, and I think the world is probably just got small eyes on us waiting for us to do that. Scott Morrison has pledged, though, half a billion dollars on carbon capture and hydrogen technologies. We're investing around $20 billion to achieve ambitious goals that will bring the cost of clean hydrogen, green steel, energy storage and carbon capture to commercial parity. Yeah, so he's putting the focus on technologies that will reduce emissions, where a lot of the other leaders are talking about their climate goals. Um, so we've got the US now at a 50% reduction by 2030. That compares to our 26%, so basically twice as ambitious. And this is all heading towards um, another big summit later in the year in Glasgow, where probably the UK with Boris Johnson will be making some um, big commitments and, and showing leadership. So with Boris and Joe really going for it on climate, there's going to be increased pressure on us to do more. Yeah, and it's not just um, Boris and Joe, if we're on a first-name basis with both of them now, but um, China has also pledged to hit net zero emissions, not by 2050, but by 2060, which is close. Um, And China is, you know, one of the world's largest carbon emitters, and so have Japan and Korea, and that's important because they are our largest purchasers of fossil fuels that we sell to them. So if they're going a little bit greener, well, what's going to happen to all the fossil fuels that we then sell to those countries? So big questions for us to ponder. And the Prime Minister's announced big changes to the vaccine rollout. All Australians over 50 will soon be able to get the COVID vaccine, but they have to have the AstraZeneca jab. We also agreed to bring forward for over 50s, uh, so outside 1A and 1B, over 50 Australians. Uh, This would be vaccination for AstraZeneca. Yeah, so the Pfizer vaccine are going to be prioritised for those under 50 and also um, for vulnerable groups. But 
Over 50s who really want to get the Pfizer vaccine rather than the AstraZeneca jab, they can get it, but they'll have to wait till later in the year. Now, the announcement came after yesterday's National Cabinet meeting with state premiers. The shake-up means that from early May, anyone over 50, um, even if you're not part of a vulnerable group, you can get vaccinated. Now, this cohort of 50 to 69-year-olds was originally in the 2A phase of the rollout. That was always due to begin at some point in May, running to perhaps late June. They haven't really fast-tracked it that much, but at least there is a definitive date now. It's May 3. So if you are over 50 or you know anyone who's over 50, you can get the AstraZeneca jab from the 3rd of May in state-run clinics around the country. There are new rules for flights to and from India after the country recorded the most new COVID cases ever in a single day. Yeah, India smashed the United States' record yesterday, recording more than 314,000 new COVID cases. So this is the highest number ever recorded by a single country within 24 hours. India is obviously full of COVID. We are very concerned. That's why we've suggested a suspension. Mark McGowan there, the WA Premier, um, reflecting concern among authorities about the pressure that travellers from India are putting on our quarantine system. Yeah, the Prime Minister says that between 10 and 40% of hotel quarantine were now people who were arriving back in Australia from India. And in the National Cabinet yesterday, the government agreed to reduce the number of flights coming from India by 30%. And also to limit travel from Australia to India as well. So you need to have approval from the Home Affairs Department if you want to leave the country. And those the reasons why are becoming a lot more stringent. Um, there's also been rising COVID infections in India that have seen patients having to share beds, um, the public cremation of bodies, and also looters stealing oxygen tanks from hospitals. So it's a very dire situation in the country at the moment. And Scott Morrison's pushing back on threats from China after the federal government tore up Victoria's Belts and Road Initiative deal with China. Australia, under our government, will always protect Australia's national interests. Yeah, the government and business officials have been bracing for Chinese retaliation after Victoria's involvement in China's Belt and Road program um, was voided by the federal government under new laws on Wednesday night. The Chinese embassy in Canberra and Beijing criticised the move as a bad global precedent and called on Australia to abandon a Cold War mentality and ideological bias. Yeah, the Foreign Minister, Maurice Payne, defended using those powers. We also have to acknowledge that China's outlook, the nature of China's external engagement, both in our region and globally, has changed. Minister Payne was talking in New Zealand there, and New Zealand have sort of taken a different position, a bit more China-friendly. They're um, standing by their decision to join this Belts and Road initiative from China. All right, Jan, we'll catch you next week. Um, We're about to go to Washington. All right, it's time for part two of our transatlantic peak over the vaccine horizon. Uh, the US and the UK are way ahead of Australia on the vaccine rollout, so we're finding out how life is changing further along that pathway. Yesterday, we spoke to Bevan Shields in London. Now, he's the correspondent for The Age and Sydney Morning Herald. This will change things permanently. Uh, there will be a vaccine passport here. What is a really interesting debate, though, is... Not so much should that passport be used just to hop on a plane and go somewhere, but what could that passport be used for domestically? So, you know what, you might actually need either proof of vaccination or proof of a negative test 
to come into the theatre, for instance, or to come into the pub. And the go- that, that opens up a whole heap of really tricky legal and sort of ethical questions that the government is trying to deal with right now. So that's what life is like in the UK, where 30 million people have had at least their first jab and nearly everyone over 50 has also been inoculated. Yeah, so today we're flying across to Washington, D.C. We're going to speak to Adam Crichton. Uh, He's the new Washington correspondent for the Australian newspaper, and he moved there just a few weeks ago. Now, Adam became quite well known for his controversial opinion pieces on COVID here in Australia last year. He was a strident lockdown critic, taking a very libertarian position on the COVID response here in Australia. Um, He's now there living in a in a city that's been ravaged by COVID, so a very different experience. Um, He's also witnessing how they're basically nailing the COVID vaccine strategy. Um, The US is now vaccinating 3 million people per day. Over 130 million Americans have had at least one shot, and that's 50% of adults. Case numbers are down dramatically. They were close to 300,000 cases a day in the middle of January. Now they're down to about 60,000 cases a day. Deaths were up to 4,000 a day at their peak. Now they're under 1,000. So let's see how life is changing in America. Adam Crichton, thanks so much for joining us. What's it been like to leave COVID-free Australia and hit the ground there in Washington? Yeah, look, certainly it's a bit of a culture shock arriving, I have to say, because uh, certainly in Washington, D.C., everyone's wearing masks all the time, and that's both inside and outside. So that's obviously a big change from Sydney. Uh, The other big change, I guess, is that I'm living with people who have, you know, lived with COVID in a very major way, you know, for a long time. I mean, of course, in Australia, we talk about COVID a lot, but there actually haven't been that many cases compared to the US. So so they're the two big differences for me. You've had the vaccine recently and it's being rolled out in a very different way to Australia in sort of, you know, big gymnasiums and sort of that mass vaccination yes. program. Can you tell us how the whole process worked? It was very impressive, I've got to say. So a few days after I arrived in early April, I got an email um, well, actually, there's a website you can go onto. You just type in your age and, you know, what profession you're in. And I was lucky. They, they just recently listed media as a frontline profession. I could apply. Of course, it was all free. And they gave me a number of choices in Washington, D.C. of where I could go. And I could choose which vaccine I wanted. There were three available at the time. So I chose the Johnson & Johnson one uh, because it's only one shot. So it saves time, basically. That's how I looked at it. And, yeah, so it was all extremely easy process. I went along to this huge gymnasium where there were you know, probably hundreds of people that day being vaccinated. And there would have been many nurses inside the gymnasium uh, who were literally going up and down the rows vaccinating people, you know, probably spending a maximum, I reckon, of two minutes with each person. And of course, if you're doing that, you can vaccinate very, very many people in a day. Uh, So I was really impressed. Uh, So I left the vaccination place. I didn't have any side effects at all. And I was somewhat shocked, you know, of course, a week or two later when they suspended the Johnson & Johnson vaccine uh, because of those blood clots. Uh, you know, kind of much the same as as what happened in Australia with with the AstraZeneca. I was kind of shocked because I think the rough chance of being struck by lightning, I think, is about one in a million. And I think there were six blood clots <laughs> in seven million vaccines. So it's about the same. So in America, you're at three million doses a day. It is incredibly efficient, as you say. Uh, 130 million people have had at least their first dose. How is it changing life in America? Well, look, unfortunately, I don't think it's changing life as fast as it should, um, at least in Washington, D.C. I mean, as you know, it's a federation and all the states here, they all do their own thing, uh, kind of just like Australia. And there's a massive variation, I would say, across the country in terms of what's allowed and what's not. In D.C., for instance, it's been compulsory to wear a mask outside since the 22nd of July last year. So that's a very long time. And although, you know, probably a third of the people 
in the city have been vaccinated and it's rising very fast. There is no change at all. There's no discussion of when those rules will change. But then again, other states in South, you know, Florida and Texas, uh, Georgia, uh, they have lifted their various restrictions. I mean, it's it's been quite controversial within the US, uh, but so far those states haven't seen a huge spike in cases or deaths from COVID. So it seems to be going well. So there's a huge amount of internal debate in the US about what is the right pace at which to lift these restrictions. But certainly I've been shocked in DC just just how happy people are seemingly to wear these masks outside when it is, I think, generously um, you know, very, a very debatable about whether it actually does much, but it seems quite popular. You've written a piece arguing about the merits of a vaccine passport. So you get it and you prove that you can't pick up COVID and therefore you can travel either, you know, around the US or internationally. How much opposition is there to vaccine passports in the US? It's something that our Prime Minister doesn't seem very keen on yet. Yeah. Do you think it's something they'll do there? Uh, look, I think there is a fair bit of opposition. I mean, the Biden administration itself has actually ruled them out for all kind of federal agencies. And a couple of the large states, uh, such as Texas and Florida, have also passed laws uh, specifically ruling them out. I you know, I thought that that was just a bit too much, a bit too excessive. I mean, that's that's basically just banning things. If some businesses and people want a vaccine passport, then I don't see any reason why it should be banned. I mean, personally, I don't think they're necessary and I think they're a bit silly. But But if the bulk of people want them, then I don't think they should be stopped. Certainly, I'd rather see the private sector do it than the government. You know, it should be very, very easy, you know, to kind of upload your proof of vaccination and just to show that on an app or something to businesses if that were the rules uh, for that business. But look, I don't think it's going to happen here. Because like I said, you know, you've seen the federal government now rule it out. I think they probably realise the bulk of people, you know, or at least a very large minority do not like the idea at all. And so it's probably not worth uh, politically pursuing it. But that said, this could slow down uh, the lifting of restrictions. That was kind of my point. Like if we had a vaccine passport, the people who are vaccinated at least could, you know, could get around and not have to wear masks and not have to lock down. And that would also be an incentive to get a vaccination. Um, because at the moment, there doesn't seem to be a huge incentive to get one, really, especially in a country like Australia, where there's very little COVID, if the restrictions aren't going to change. Yeah, your argument makes a lot of sense and you can see how they would be a really useful tool in navigating that trade-off between, um, you know, the vaccination rate and and the other lockdown measures which have been, as you say, impeding people's lives for a year now. What's it like for you being in Washington now looking back to Australia and seeing how clunky our vaccine rollout is? Yeah, look, it is pretty extraordinary how we've only got to, what, 3 or 4% so far. And, uh, you know, here in the US, I think it's about 30%. And it's, you know, of course, a much, much larger, more diverse country. Uh, I think part of the problem in Australia is is that the doctors there seem to, you know, have a gridlock on the, on the vaccination process. I don't think they can be done at pharmacies in Australia yet, or there's some debate about that. I mean, certainly over here, they can be done at pharmacies and indeed even more broadly than that in gymnasiums and so forth. And so I just don't see how the how Australia can get anywhere near, you know, so-called uh, so-called herd immunity levels with the current pace of vaccination. And so that means that the border is going to be shut for a very long time and Australia's cities will be under the spectre of lockdowns for, for many, many months. Uh, you know, you have to wonder, the winter approaching in Australia, whether there'll be, you know, kind of there'll be outbreaks of cases and kind of what's going to happen in that case. Uh, whether there'll be more lockdowns. I mean, I probably expect that there would be, um, given it seems the tolerance of of cases in Australia is extremely low compared to other countries. What's the deal with international travel for Americans at the moment? Well, look, as far as I know, there are are no restrictions at all. People can come and go from America and they can come and go from their states uh, just just like they used to. I mean, one of the interesting things is from talking to Americans here is they're 
you know, they're very impressed with uh, with how Australia uh, supposedly dealt with the virus. Uh, you know, the the tough border control, which of course I think did you know did certainly help our our situation back home a lot. But you know, but then I explained to them it's a lot. You know, it's much much harder to shut down travel kind of in and out of the U.S. than it is to shut it down in and out of Sydney and Melbourne. <laughs> you know, because mm. you know it's the world's biggest economy. And so when I explained that, they do think, oh yes, I suppose we shouldn't be too harsh on ourselves in that, you know, that respect. So so I think that that's a point kind of worth making. And you can make the same point about the UK as well. You know, it's very, very hard to shut London down internationally. That was Adam Crichton, the uh, Washington correspondent for The Australian. Some interesting contrast there, Anika, between the US and the UK. Um, as we spoke to Bevan Shields yesterday, he told us that they're much more up for a vaccine passport in Europe than they are in America. Doesn't sound like the Americans are keen on that idea at all. Look, they're not big travellers compared to the Europeans, so maybe that's got something to do with it. I do find it interesting, though, the way Europe is going, where you can either prove you've had it and you've got antibodies or there's some sort of green pass system like in Israel. It seems like that is a logical way Mm. to get back to normal. And even if that's not travelling overseas, it's going into a restaurant it's a good way to prove that you're safe and the economy can reopen. Yeah, well, I guess it'll be interesting to see how our politicians in Australia swing on the vaccine passport idea, clearly quite controversial in some places. That is it for the Monday-Friday briefing, but there is a weekend briefing with Jamila Rizvi. Jamila, who have you got on this week? Tom, today I'm speaking with Lillian Ahenken, who is better known as Flex Mommy. I don't know if you follow her on TikTok or on Instagram, but if you don't, You need to fix that stat. She is an extraordinary MTV host, DJ, podcaster, influencer, social commentator. But most of all, she is fascinating. She is insightful. She is clever. She makes me think about myself, the world, and my life in a completely different way. And she will do exactly the same for everyone who's listening. Flex Mammy on the weekend briefing. Should be really interesting. She is a real character. Thank you so much, Jamila. Uh, And thank you to the whole team, executive producer Dan Mullins and our news producers, Liam Kennedy and Brooke Lowther. Um, Hope you have an amazing weekend. Listener.